The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Decision time for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She says President Trump can be held accountable without impeachment. But is that going to be enough for new progressives in the, in the Democratic conference? Plus, Herman Cain, he's out at the Fed. And meanwhile, Stephen Moore facing new scrutiny. President Trump dropping the plan to put Herman Cain on the Fed board and another exclusive interview with Brian Hook, a senior advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. This after the administration announces no waivers, no more waivers for Iran or countries raising the stakes in the United States to showdown with Iran what that means for the oil market. Coming up, we have an all-star panel. Joe Crawley, senior policy advisor at Squire Patton & Boggs, a former congressman, Democrat from New York, and the former chairman of the House Democratic Caucus. What are his buddies saying about whether or not to impeach President Trump? And Sari Kim, friend of the program, Republican strategist and former senior advisor in the Trump administration. And she's also a former health care counsel on the House Oversight and Government Reform committee. But before we get to all of that, Nancy, busy, busy news day. Catch us up to speed. Yeah, on top of that, we're receiving word an earthquake has hit an area near Mexico City, causing tall buildings there to sway. People have evacuated their offices. The initial magnitude is being reported at 5.4. No word on any damages or injuries yet. The Trump administration is not renewing those waivers that let Japan, China, and India, among others, buy Iranian oil without facing U.S. sanctions. Bloomberg's Irv Chapman has more from the White House. The waivers expire next week. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said the U.S. oil squeeze had already cost Iran $10 billion of its annual $50 billion in oil revenue. Our goal has been to get countries to cease importing Iranian oil entirely. We will no longer grant any exemptions. We're going to zero, going to zero across the board. And we've been working with major oil-producing countries to ensure the market has sufficient volume to minimize the impact on pricing. Pompeo was referring to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. President Trump talked with the crown princes of both before making the move. At the White House, Irv Chapman, Bloomberg Radio. President Trump says he will not nominate Herman Cain for a seat on the Federal Reserve Board. This after opposition from his own Republican Party appeared to sink the former pizza company executive's hopes for Senate confirmation. In a tweet, Trump called Cain a wonderful man who asked not to be nominated, and Trump says he's respecting his wishes. Earlier today, the president and the first lady kicked off the annual White House Easter egg roll. 
It is a tradition that dates back to 1878. I love them. I know they like me too. It's the egg farmers of this country, the egg farmers. President Rutherford B. Hayes was the first president to invite kids to the White House to roll their eggs, sparing the grass on the Capitol grounds. This year's event was estimated to bring in 30,000 adults and kids. Well, changes to ethics laws could soon be coming to Baltimore as city officials deal with the fallout from the mayor's scandal. Bloomberg's Martin DeCaro reports. Because Mayor Catherine Pugh's children's book deal exposed holes in transparency laws, Baltimore City Council members will consider tightening financial oversight and disclosure requirements and protecting whistleblowers. The Baltimore Sun reports the measures are being drafted before the mayor's troubles, but now take on added urgency. At its meeting tonight, the city council will also weigh legislation limiting the power of the mayor and creating a new way to oust a sitting mayor. Martin DeCaro, Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 HD2. The Washington Capitals are hoping to eliminate the Carolina Hurricanes tonight in Game 6 of their playoff series. The Caps have a 3-2 edge right now. They shut out the Hurricanes Saturday 6-0. If the Caps win tonight, they will move on to play the New York Islanders, led by former Caps coach Barry Trotz. Well, it is time now for the Beltway Business Report. Here is Bloomberg's Larry Kofsky. Well, Nancy, the stock market began the week with a lackluster session. The Dow Jones Industrial Average lost 48. The S&P 500 gained two points. The Nasdaq Composite rose 17. Whirlpool sharply higher in late trading. First quarter earnings beat estimates despite lower revenue. Its full-year forecast also was better than expected. Whirlpool was had warned after the fourth quarter that 2019 would not be as strong as last year. Wegmans is reducing its use of plastic bags, straws, and other items that it's stores in Maryland, Virginia, and elsewhere as it eliminates its use of plastic bags entirely in New York State by the end of this year. That's three months before New York's ban on plastic bags takes effect. Oil climbed 2.6%, nearing $66 a barrel after the White House said it won't renew waivers that let certain countries buy Iranian oil without facing U.S. sanctions. Crude finished $65.70, up $1.70. The Bloomberg 99.1 Washington, D.C. area stock index ended little changed. And you're up to date on business. From the Beltway to Baltimore, I'm Larry Kofsky. This is Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Thanks, Larry. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and at TikTok on Twitter. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Nancy Lyons. Back to you, Kevin. Thank you, Nancy. Did you have a good holiday? Loved it. It was beautiful. I was it in was Baltimore. Beautiful weather. Beautiful weather. I was in Baltimore with my sister. Uh, she hosted everybody. Absolute perfect day for it. And now we're back at work. And what a busy Monday that it was. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi pushing back on Democrats this afternoon who have called for impeachment of President Trump even after the Mueller report. Now, all of this was really kickstarted into high gear by Democratic presidential candidate. Elizabeth Warren, she's a senator from Massachusetts. She has been the first out really in the crowded Democratic field to call for President Trump's impeachment. Meanwhile, headlines crossing the Bloomberg terminal as we speak, breaking news. Uh, Jerry Nadler, Chairman Jerry Nadler, Democrat from New York, issuing subpoenas for former White House counsel Don McGahn. So, here we go, folks. It's just getting started. The headlines are still continuing as a result of that more than 400-page Mueller report. But Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi uh, writing a dear colleague letter uh, and in which this co- that was released on Monday. 
and it came before the conference call with House Democrats. And she says in this letter, quote, while our views range from proceeding to investigate the findings of the Mueller report or proceeding directly to impeachment, we all firmly agree that we should proceed down a path of finding the truth. Joe Crowley is a senior policy advisor at Squire Patton and Boggs, former congressman Democrat from New York. And Sari Kim is a Republican strategist and a former senior advisor in the Trump administration, as well as counsel uh, for the Republican-led at the time House Oversight and Government Reform Committee. All right, Joe, uh, first of all, great to have you here in Thank studio. You. Thanks for being here. We're going to talk trade yep. coming up. But I, I, I mean— there's such a divide right now in the Democratic Party for how to respond to the Mueller report. How should they respond? Well, I don't know if it's as much as a, a divide in the caucus, as much as there are many options uh, to respond to this. And I think what the speaker has said is they want the full unredacted report uh, delivered to Congress. Uh, and those who have the clearance to review that report uh, should have that access to them. And then uh, let, let the truth fall, fall where they may. I think, you know, uh, she has said she is not a fan of the impeachment process. Um, she believes in democracy. She believes that elections, and I, I don't pretend to speak for Nancy Pelosi. Let me make that clear. But I do believe. Nobody speaks for Speaker Pelosi. Not at all. But, so but I do believe that she believes that elections have consequences, uh, that the American people own this, uh, and that uh, the opportunity really to hold them accountable is every four years. Uh, we have an opportunity to do that. Sorry, I mean, when I, when I talk to, to supporters of President Trump, advisors to the president, they say in a weird way that privately, they're not saying this on the record, that if, if the Democrats were to impeach the, the president or begin impeachment proceedings, first of all, no chance in the Senate. I mean, even Senator Romney's criticisms were not saying that the president should be removed from office. And he's really kind of the only Republican that has emerged as being critical in, in office. There have been a couple of others. But... Essentially, it would be more than a year long. So, I mean, are you secretly hoping that impeachment proceedings, Terry, begin in the House of Representatives? Absolutely. And this is why, <laughs> I mean, this is why I truly admire Speaker Pelosi as a young woman and what she has done, because she sees that this is a difference between style and substance. The substance is the Mueller report, which said President Trump did not collude, did not criminally interfere. Now, the style is... They want to get rid of Trump from office. You can either do that in 18 months through an election, or you can suck up the oxygen and, in fact, create some empathy for a president that no one feels sorry for, you know? And so if you go against Trump and his character, or if you make these type of tertiary arguments, it takes away from the policy. And the Democrats can't beat Trump when he sucks you into a character debate. See, I was struck by this, and uh, Tom Keene and I were talking about this earlier on Bloomberg Surveillance, on Bloomberg Television earlier this morning, which was when you go through the 400-page the report, there actually are some areas of nonpartisan national security consensus, most notably how social media platforms were utilized uh, to uh, as a form of Russian propaganda, and then even cryptocurrency. And I was struck by this, especially as, as we look into more and more of cryptocurrency regulatory uh, matters, and how crypto cryptocurrency in particular mm -hmm. was really the basis of, of some of these fundings. So, Joe, my question back to you then becomes, is it wise for Democrats to, to go into this, you know, barrage of uh, you know, impeach, don't impeach, or where is the nonpartisan consensus? Why isn't President Trump 
you know, working across the aisle in a sense to better protect the U.S. from from this having to happen again? And why aren't Democrats waving not an olive branch, but saying, hey, let's better protect ourselves, our social media platforms and cryptocurrency? I, I think the key word here is the truth. Truth. Uh, seeking the truth, finding out the truth. That's not a partisan issue. That is something that we should all strive for. I think that's what Pelosi, uh, Speaker Pelosi, has said. She expects the, uh, the the process to move forward to uncover the truth. Uh, and that may very well be something that is embarrassing to the president to some degree. Um, whether or not what he did do uh, may not have risen to the uh, uh, to an impeachable offense, but is not the behavior that we expect from the president, our, our president of the United States. Well, I have no problems with the American public or our elected officials trying to find the truth, but they just spent two and a half years and $30 million advocating that Robert Mueller would be able to find the truth. And the truth is, is espoused in this document. I think Joe used an amazing adverb, which is embarrassing, embarrassment. And I think a lot of these young freshman Democrats, as well as other members uh, of the Democratic caucus, are looking to embarrass Trump. And if you try to go after Trump on character, on these type of tertiary issues, the Democratic Party will lose an opportunity to get rid of Trump from the White House. They just will. You know, I was reading a Signum analytical report earlier today, and, and just the timeline of an impeachment proceeding would last, truthfully, about 12 to 18 months, I mean, so, which comes right up to the 2020 presidential. We're going to talk more about the 2020 presidential coming up but i mean we've got we've got to go to break but uh joe let me ask you this i find it hard to believe that former vice president joe biden the other joe when he gets into the race on wednesday is going to be screaming calls for impeachment i I think that what the presidential candidates should be focused on are the issues themselves right now it's about health care it is about the state of our nation and how is it interpreted worldwide by this presidency? Uh, I think those are the things that the, our, our presidential Democratic candidates should be focused mm-hmm. on. And working class voters and trade policy. Coming up, much more on trade policy, including the USMCA. He's the former uh, co-chairman of the USMCA caucus, I believe. Uh, it's actually the past USMCA, which I'm co-chairing with Gary Locke yes. uh, from Washington State. You guys probably have very interesting dinner conversation. We're, <laughs> we're going to get uh, the, the inside take on that front, plus much more on the developing situation in Iran uh, and the president's decision not to renew waivers. My exclusive interview from Bloomberg Television with Brian Hook. He's a senior policy advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Panel stays. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You are listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Breaking news. Headlines crossing the Bloomberg terminal as we speak. House panel serving a subpoena to former White House counsel Don McGahn. McGahn. Uh, This uh, being reported by CNN as well as Bloomberg, the House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler issuing that subpoena. Uh, This comes, of course, following last week's conclusion and the release of the redacted media or redacted Mueller report. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi walking a very tight, very tight political tightrope on a conference call with the House Democratic Caucus earlier today. She's trying to get the impeachment talk from a very noisy, noisy colleagues that she's got 
in the House Democratic Caucus. How would you like to be a fly on the wall in those Democratic conference lunches? Uh, well, impeachment talk, she's trying to tamper it. This as the presidential race heats up. Mark your calendar on Wednesday, the 2020 chatter really going to pick up. Vice Former Vice President Joe Biden anticipated to make it official, formally announce his presidential run. Now, in the past couple of days, Senator Elizabeth Warren, a Democrat from Massachusetts, Democratic presidential candidate now, she's calling on the president to be impeached. So what's next in terms of the Mueller report and the investigations and findings? Likely we're going to hear from Bob Mueller should he finally agree to testify publicly before members of Congress. Republicans backing that. Everybody wants to hear from Bob Mueller. Everybody wants to hear from Bob Mueller. Uh, when that becomes official, if that becomes official, we will bring that to you as soon as that happens. But still no word on a scheduling of that. Attorney General William Barr, he's going to testify before Congress on May 2nd. But a lot of other policy that we're talking about. Uh, including the re-ratification of USMCA, uh, as well as Asia trade talks. Mind you, Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe is going to be in Washington, scheduled to be in Washington on Friday. Joe Crowley is senior policy advisor at Squire Patton Boggs. He's a former congressman, Democrat from New York. He's also, of course, the former chairman of the House Democratic Caucus. He served on the Ways and Means Committee, Financial Services, and Foreign Affairs. Sari Kim, a Republican strategist, friend of the program, and former senior advisor in the Trump administration. She also worked on the Republican-controlled House Oversight and Government Reform Committee. Joe, I know that you are doing this new type of get USMCA ratified coalition, but I was struck by this, especially as we put it in the global context that you got Shinzo Abe coming to Washington while uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping is still trying to hype up this this uh, one road, one belt. What is he calling it these days uh, to, to, to boost uh, China's economy? What is your what is your take? Let's start with China. What, what do you think the end goal should be from a U.S. perspective between Trump and, and Xi talks? Well, I, I've been I've been really almost singularly focused on getting the USMCA agreement ratified in the House Representatives and uh, and the Senate and, and, and passed into law and enacted by the President to law this agreement. Uh, I do think that the China agreement is a very important one for our country moving forward, that we have some stable agreement with China right now. They're cleaning our clocks. The President and I agree with that uh, on currency, on, on a number of issues in relation to China. And the hope is that we can get to some agreement that will, be, that, that will set us on the right mark uh, moving forward with China. So with regards to USMCA and the differences within the Democratic caucus in a 2020 political season, how do you get all the Democrats on board, especially when you've got some saying that it's not progressive enough mm -hmm. and others saying that it's it's too progressive? I don't know if I've ever heard Edwin say it's too progressive in the Democratic caucus, <laughs> but I would sure. say that— Especially look, these days. <laughs> I would say that I have myself a mixed record on trade in the House when I was there. I voted for some, but not all. Uh, most multilaterals I voted against, but most bi bi bilaterals I, was in, I, I tend to be more in favor than not, not all of them. Uh, and I think that's what I bring to this in terms of the strength, the credibility on the issue itself. And I believe uh, that this is a better agreement than the original NAFTA. I also think it's a, a better agreement than no agreement at all, which the president has threatened certainly with uh, uh, extracting us from NAFTA. I don't know if anyone ever actually believes that would ever happen, 
uh, but he certainly holds the thread out there. But the advancement as, as it pertains to uh, the origin piece, that uh, uh, automobiles, uh, 75% will have to be origined here in the United States or in North America, um, that the $16 minimum wage for workers, uh, a good third of the workers in the auto industry in Mexico. Um, we, we, we have a kind of basic balance uh, trade between the United States, Canada, uh, and Mexico. We have an advantage with Canada, a disadvantage slightly with Mexico. But all in all, it's, it's, it's relatively balanced, and we need to maintain that. So, Sari, the president, it would look like, would, if he wants to get this through Congress, maybe lay off Twitter in terms of USMCA and let, <laughs> let people like Joe get Speaker Pelosi's ear and maybe, like, you know, take away the volatility, especially with the 2020 chatter picking up. But, but seriously, maybe, maybe lay off the gas a little bit in order to get this thing across the finish line. I mean, this is what I find really fascinating about some of the 109 freshman Democrats that got elected in. If you look at two of the facts that Joe just espoused, there's a livable minimum wage in there. There's a 75 percent origin. You have a slew of other factors, including addressing some of the labor issues that Mexico has had. However, you have these far left, left progressives who won't even pass an actual piece of legislation that is strongly bipartisan, so bipartisan that you have the former Democratic caucus leader advocating for it in the private sector. None of these Democratic freshmen helped take back the House, essentially, and yet they won't do anything substantively. They're only focused on throwing bombs and making fun of President Trump's Twitter. I think they should pass USMCA. Well, I do think that uh, Leader Pelosi recognizes uh, how we gain control of the House of Representatives, and it was done uh, in the interface districts. It was done in the marginal districts where uh, Democrats actually took back seats from Republicans. It didn't happen in inner cities like New York or Boston or Detroit or, or Minneapolis, for that matter. It did happen in New Jersey. It happened in Pennsylvania. It happened in California, parts of California. So um, I think she's very well aware of how that happened. And uh, I do think uh, that uh, from my standpoint, uh, standing that this uh, agreement, um, it, it deserves support and bipartisan support. Uh, and I think um, that Democrats also need to show that they can work with this president in some capacity. Joe, what's the timeline in terms of when, like walk us through the procedurals of when ultimately it, it would even be up for a vote? Well, I, I think there's a lot of debate out on this. Uh, obviously, the closer we get to the presidential election year, the more <laughs> difficult it is right. to really yeah, accomplish sure. a lot of things. Uh, and both sides kind of shut down to some degree and kind of like, let's run on this, let's run on that. Um, I, I, look, there's been some discussion. Uh, Leader Pelosi, uh, sorry, Speaker Pelosi has talked about the need for an infrastructure bill. She put on a mark of $2 trillion at the minimum $1 trillion. Some believe that that be just maybe a too far bridge right now to, to handle, if you don't mind the pun, a bridge too far. <laughs> but, got it. But, um, there are some things that can be done besides the spending bills that have to get done that maybe maybe this trade agreement might be something that can get done, mm -hmm. whether it is before the August break or maybe just after that when they come back. Mm -hmm. Uh, but time would be limited. Because there has to be something like your mom, my mom, kind of middle-of-the-road type of people that don't want to keep talking about the Mueller report. They don't want to keep talking about Twitter. They want to talk and ask for these members running for office, what did you do and what are you going to do? And at this 
this point, most of them have voted against the tax bill. They have voted against working on USMCA. They have voted against putting President Trump's appointees. They have voted against basically doing the actual job of the Congress, like the spending bill. They need to do something, and this is it. Sarah well, just gave Chicky Cerulli a shout-out back in Delco. Appreciate <laughs> that, Mom. Sarah. But don't get me going on the tax bill, because that was a complete right, well, shame. We got more time. Coming up, maybe we talk the tax bill. We also have an exclusive interview with Brian Hook. Senior Policy Advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Download the Sound Off podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. Check us out on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. The Trump administration says it will not renew waivers that let countries buy Iranian oil without facing U.S. sanctions. This is a move that roiled energy markets. I'm Kevin Cirilli, chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Earlier today on Bloomberg Television, I spoke exclusively with Brian Hook. He is a senior advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, the architect of U.S. policy with Iran. Take a listen to our interview. All right, no more waivers, why? Because we need to really deny Iran the revenue it needs to destabilize the Middle East through all of its proxy wars. And Secretary Pompeo announced about a year ago that we are going to be going to zero imports of Iranian crude oil. And we were able to take off about a million and a half barrels over the first, I would say, but maybe the last 10, 11 months now we are going to take off the remaining million barrels of Iranian crude. So I was struck by the Secretary Pompeo earlier today, uh, providing some, I would say, ambiguity in terms of whether or not there's going to be a push on the deadline. Is there any extension past May 2nd, or is that the absolute deadline, or is there any grace period at all? Um, there will be no renewals of any of the exceptions that have allowed people to import Iranian crude oil. And so those have gone away. <clears throat> There's only about four or five countries still importing Iranian crude oil. And those, the current waivers expire on May 2nd, and they will not be renewed. So will those countries, if they continue to make those types of transactions, are they going to be sanctioned if on May 3rd they continue on? We don't anticipate that countries are going to choose to risk being sanctioned. To date, no country has. There are over 20 countries that used to import Iranian crude that are now at zero, and they've been there for many months, and there's no hint at all that they want to run afoul of American sanctions. And we don't anticipate that with either. We're essentially giving countries a choice. You can either do business with the United States or you can import Iranian crude oil. And given that choice, it's not a hard decision. So China's the largest buyer of Iranian crude oil, and they've reiterated their uh, opposition to unilateral sanctions as a result of this. Clearly, that was anticipated. But do you have any concerns uh, about China's message uh, in all of this or whether or not that would directly impact the, the oil markets? I think China's big equity is ensuring a very steady and stable 
stable supply of, of oil. We have worked very closely with Saudi Arabia, mm -hmm. and today they released a statement ensuring that they will uh, offset any Iranian barrels that are lost. And so uh, Iranian crude is not an exotic crude. And there's, there's a number of countries that can supply China with its energy needs. There will not be any supply interruption as a consequence of our decision today. Brian, last time you were here when we asked about this, you said you got to wait. We got to wait until to see what the decision's going to be. But you also said that you wanted to take great care because you didn't want to create any type of volatility in the geopolitical oil market as mm -hmm. a whole. Why do you think that the market is in better shape today uh, with this now with this announcement mm -hmm. than it was six months ago? Because all of our forecasts show supply exceeding demand. The Saudis are going to be there to offset any losses. The United States has been increasing production. Um, I think all of the, if you look at all of the fundamentals, they're very sound. That we have a well supplied and stable oil market. So if if, if you're driven by the fundamentals. There's no reason to think that this is going to impact the oil markets because Saudi and UAE and the United States are all working to offset the loss. What about India? Well, India has been granted a waiver in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, they're the second largest importer of Iranian crude oil. But it's, it's just we're not going to be giving out any more waivers. And then do you have any concern that the removal of Iranian crude from the market is going to fuel any other of a price spike? Because you know President Trump doesn't want to see that. We're going to hear about it on Twitter if, the, if there's a massive spike in the oil market. Uh, no, and today I think you've seen a slight uptick, um, but there's a number of drivers behind that, uh, that that even predate the announcement this morning. And so as you look on the dashboard of geopolitical risk, there are a couple of hot spots, but they're, they're not even, I wouldn't even qualify them as hot. So we manage these things, I think, very well. We have calibrated our national security interests and our economic interests. We've, we've done a good job of balancing that so far. We've taken off a million and a half barrels of Iranian crude, and that has not uh, hurt the oil markets. All right, so broader step back. Now there's a lot of folks thought that this couldn't be done. Now a year in the making, it's, it's, it's been done. What's the next step? I mean, if ultimately the, the goal is to get Iran to behave like a, like a country that doesn't want to engage in nuclear activity, what's, what's the next step here now that there's been no more waivers granted? It puts us in a much better position of economic leverage because most of the regime's revenue comes from oil exports. Mm -hmm. So if you want to change Iran's calculus for funding all of these proxy wars around the Middle East, you have to get serious about the oil. We've already seen an impact. Uh, Iran is having a harder time meeting their funding commitments for Hezbollah, for Hamas, for their Shia proxies in uh, Syria. And so we want to make it hard for Iran to execute its foreign policy. We're going to continue putting pressure on this regime. We're in the early stages of this. And Iran has a choice. They can either start behaving like a normal nation or they can watch their economy crumble. That was Brian Hook, senior policy advisor to Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, as well as the architect behind the U.S. policy with Iran. Check out that full exclusive interview on BloombergTelevision.com. Coming up, we talk much more about the 2020 presidential race. Download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me and my colleagues on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You are listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. 
I was celebrating Easter over the weekend, and I ran into one of my friends, and she got a new dog, and now I want a dog. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Sari Kim is a Republican strategist and a friend of the program, former senior advisor in the Trump administration. Joe Crawley, senior policy advisor at Squire Patton Boggs and former congressman Democrat from New York. I, I, Joe, I you got a dog. You were telling me off air. We got a dog. What's the dog's name? Well, it's a chocolate lab. Okay. His name puppy? Is, he's a puppy. He's about uh, four months old. Wow. And um, he responds to his name. One syllable name. His name is Bruce. Bruce. It's a middle, good name. His middle name is Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen. Correct. Crowley. Crowley. Yep. Wow. Yep. What is your favorite? Bru- I take it you're a Bruce Springsteen. I'm a fan. huge Springsteen fan. Uh, my favorite song is got to be between Rosalita and Thunder Road. Those are two great songs. Sarah, are you a Bruce fan? Of course. What's your favorite Bruce song? I mean, Born to Run. Born to Run. Okay, yeah. that's a good one. I also really, 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 really like Jungle Land. Awesome. Oh. Awesome so saxophone. Good. So uh, it's fantastic. Uh, um, My mother likes Jungle Land. Really? She loves the piano in it. It's, it's actually so a beautiful, beautiful, yeah. beautiful song. I didn't get to yeah. see him do the Broadway thing because yeah. those tickets were like harder to get than Hamilton. But yeah. like, I heard it was amazing. Did either of you see that on Bruce? I've seen it on Netflix. The first oh, it's on ne- I've got to watch that. Oh, is it on Netflix? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Right. No, the first time I ever heard of Bruce Springsteen was when Courtney Cox jumped up on stage and danced with him, like on Friends. Dancing in the Dark. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's right. That's right, because she was there. All right, pivoting back to the Gateway Project. Okay. Uh, I'm just going <laughs> to not... <laughs> I don't know how to pivot. We're still learning, Bloomberg. Uh, Joe Crowley, my colleagues, were sending in questions when we found out you were going to be on with us for the hour, and we appreciate uh, you coming in to, to talk with us. Do you think the Gateway Project gets done? I think the Gateway Project has to get done. Right. And this is about access uh, to the, the greatest market in the world, New York City. And it's as much about the tri-state region. It's about the Lehigh Valley. It's about New Jersey. Uh, it's about that access that, that keeps broadening out in terms of the bedroom community of New York is just not Queens and Nassau County and Suffolk and Rockland and Orange and Putnam uh, and Staten Island. And it's really New Jersey. It is the Lehigh Valley where we see so many people moving out to. They need to have that direct access. Uh, they need to know that that tunnel will be built uh, and really to, to, to further the investment in a city like New York. All right. We talked a lot about the AOC Amazon fallout. What the heck happened with the Amazon deal? Well, I, I do think in terms of the investment of New York City, it's critical that we have the infrastructure in place for that. But we also have to have the talent. We happen to have both right now in abundance. Uh, New York City is going very, very strong. I think part of the problem is it's going so strong that the unemployment rate is, is, is at a critically you know, low rate. Um, that uh, it really afforded opportunity to be in protest there against some of these big companies. I actually think, um, from my standing and my, my, my positioning on the ground, I think Amazon pulled out a little too early. I think they should have stuck it out a little longer. And uh, I think what you see happen here in, in, in D.C. or at least in Crystal, uh, Crystal City, that it's going through. There was protest, but it's going through, and they, 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 they definitely want it. I think the people in Queens and in the surrounding area want it. Uh, and the polling indicates that overwhelmingly. All right. And everybody wants to know, you, you're going to run for office? For, uh, are you ever going to run for office again? You uh, tweeted out, like, still not running. Like, <laughs> it's like every day you wake up, you got to, like, tweet out, still not running. Like, <laughs> I mean, do it, Joe. Do you know, it. I mean, 
Like I, I, You've got I, a Trump advisor telling you I, the wrong job. Had, or you can come work for us. <laughs> I've had an incredible 32 years in elective office in the state legislature and in the House of Representatives for 20 years. I'm very grateful for that opportunity. I'm only, I just turned 57 a month ago, so I don't feel that old. Although during the campaign, I was called Grandpa Crowley. I have have a 13-year-old son. I don't know how he felt about that. Wow. But, um, you know, I don't know. Um, I'll wait and see, you know, what uh, transpires. Um, You know, New York's a big town, a big city, and a big state, and there may be other opportunities down the road. No, and I find this fascinating because so many people, especially in our line of work, Terry, it's like, oh, are you going to run, blah, 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 blah. And, it, and, it's, and it's always like, oh, looking at the polls. But actually, it has a lot more to do with what voters are saying on the ground, how mm-hmm. their lives are being impacted mm-hmm. by the economy. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when, especially now in the presidential season, I mean, I remember interviewing Senator Warren uh, more than a year and a half ago and, mm-hmm. and saying, looking her in the eye and saying, you know, what goes into this decision to be commander in chief? And you could see, regardless of whether or not you agree with Senator Warren, that for someone deciding to run for president for presidential office or congress or any elected official there is a lot more that should go into it than mm-hmm. just you know polls mm-hmm. as joe told us mm-hmm. right i mean the, fundamentally you have to want it and then the politician themselves has to decide why and then they have to convince us that the reasoning behind why makes sense so joe biden wednesday Sarah, is he the biggest threat <laughs> I don't think Joe Biden is a big threat. I don't think anybody in the Democratic field is a big threat. Because oh, come they, on. No, I'm very serious. There's everybody no, running for president. For a singu- who no, gives you for the, a singular, who keeps you up at night? You know what? They don't, mostly because they keep running against the personality of Donald Trump. They need to come up with these ideas. And I think Pete Buttigieg is really interesting for two reasons. One, he's created this conversation around what it means to be an evangelical Christian, a Christian at all, and yet say that if you don't vote Republican, then you're a bad Christian. I mean, that is an astounding statement and an argument and a debate to have in modern society. And it's a debate that's been going on around the dinner tables for, take my word for it, for decades. Such a long time. And, and no one talks about it, Joe, right? But I also think there are candidates talking about other things than the president's character, although that is a big, big issue for a lot of voters out there as well. A lot of well. voters. But they are concerned about health care. They are concerned about job development. You look at, you know, for instance, Tim Ryan, someone who's not getting a lot of attention. He's getting no attention. In, in, in Ohio. But he, he's talking about, you know, the, the bread and butter issues. And that is about they were promised jobs. The jobs are still evaporating. Lordsville. Yeah. And that, the, you know, the, the, you look at people who are making in, incredible decisions about their futures, their families, their lives, mm-hmm. and the crises that they're dealing with. He's making it very real. I think you, you have other people speaking in those same ways. Now, the problem is it's such a crowded field. It's mm-hmm. hard to get your message out. It's hard to raise that money. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. I do think that Biden is probably the greatest threat because he is the most well-known. And he's got the experience. All right, I want to thank Sari Kim, Republican strategist and former senior advisor in the Trump administration, as well as former health care counsel of the, on the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee. And, of course, Joe Crowley, the legendary Joe Crowley, senior policy advisor at Squire Patton Boggs and former congressman Democrat from New York. Maybe he's not done, folks. A dot, dot, dot for Joe Crowley. And now he's all up in the USMCA of renegotiations and a dog owner, a dog owner of Bruce Springsteen Crowley. I want to thank everybody for listening. Herman Cain's out at the Fed. We'll dive into that tomorrow. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.